Hello and welcome to the EDM podcast. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and basically anyone in the industry of electronic music production. Now, today we have a very special guest, someone who I've been wanting to get on ever since I became the host of this podcast, and that is Steve Duda. Now, Steve and I were emailing a while back after I sent him a link to an article where he mentioned his famous synth serum. And I asked him if he wanted to come on, and to my surprise, he was very keen. So now, if you're not aware of who Steve Duda is, he's the founder of Xfer Records and the creator, as I mentioned, of the super popular synth serum. Now, he's been in the industry for a very long time, both as an artist and as the runner of a software company. So he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with us all as producers. We dive into his background and about how he studied music composition in college and how that essentially opened the door for many opportunities out there, despite the normal career trajectory of teaching at a university. And this chain reaction of events set off and led to things like him having a short DJ career in leagues with people like Deadmau5 and Skrillex, and then eventually on discovering this whole concept of meta music, which led him to then taking up programming and creating tools for producers to use. We then dive into the massive success of Serum and how it performed better than he could ever have imagined, including his rent-to-own partnership with Splice and how that helped things along the way. Steve is also excellent at drawing parallels between both music production and programming. So he has a lot of really great advice for those of you who are producers out there. Now, this episode in particular is brought to you by Create30. Now, Create30 is our new cohort-based course for producers who want to create 30 song ideas in 30 days. Along the way, we'll be providing you with a framework for generating ideas, having bi-weekly calls to keep you on track, and having a community to keep you accountable and so you have people to grow with together. We are super excited about launching this for the first time. So if you want to join the first cohort starting in September, head to create30.com. But without further ado, let's get onto the EDM podcast with Steve Duda. Awesome. Welcome, everybody, to the EDM podcast. Today, we are here with the illustrious Steve Duda, uh, founder of Xfer Records uh, and creator of the infamous Serum. Steve, how's it going, man? It's going great. How are you doing? Yeah, doing really well, man. Um, sun, uh, Sunday morning? No, it's not Sunday morning. It's Wednesday morning here for me. So <laughs> just waking up and uh, getting ready for the day. Um, nice. You're, you're in Mexico at the moment, right? I am in Mexico. Yeah, I moved down here a couple months ago. Um, it's just, just really wanted a change of life after, you know, kind of quarantine, lockdown and everything. Um, totally. My wife and I decided that getting out of California, getting out of LA would be good for us just to have a, a change and uh, settled on Mexico. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been really everything that I kind of hoped for, learning new stuff, new culture, new language um meeting friendly folks and um and also just enjoying good weather and all that and so um it's been a really great move actually awesome man yeah i can imagine it would be an ideal move did they have kind of less um intense restrictions there and stuff like that yeah things i mean things operate differently here for sure um coming from united states you know the the biggest difference i notice really is in like service industry stuff which is 
kind of hit and miss. Some people are actually really right. on the ball, but in general, like you have to call and then call back and then they tell you, Oh, you have to talk to someone else. And that kind of thing happens. You know, banking is well behind the times, everything you kind of have to do in wow. person and, and wait in line and all that. Um, but the government is pretty reasonable. I mean, in the sense for foreigners, they really, they really are well aware that outside investment is, is a great thing. Cool. Um, so they really encourage people to come down here and, um, make it pretty easy to get residency. And even if you don't have residency, you can live here six months with just a tourist visa, which you don't even have to apply for. You just basically show up and you're good for six months. So, that's awesome. That That's yeah. a, that's a good, uh, good heads up. If anyone's ever wanting to escape their lockdown, it's been very similar here in Australia. Like it's been a pretty intense lockdown. So, right. um, yeah, Mexico, good shout. Good shout. <laughs> um, awesome, man. To kick things off, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, I know you, you've mentioned in previous interviews like a kind of a bit of your background already so I won't like kind of rehash what you've already said but like I think if I'm not mistaken you studied music production at college is that right? Kind of yeah I studied music composition was like my official major so I went to um, University of California at Santa Cruz and the UC system pretty much tries to force everyone into kind of normal yeah. vocational majors in a sense sort of academic majors right things that you could then go be a teacher of essentially um and so the music program at the time was very limited to being an instrument major like piano right. or whatnot or else being a composition major and i was really interested in being like a great piano player and i was practicing six hours a day almost in high school um wow. just really devoting myself to playing keyboards as much as I could. Um, but I just started a little late. I didn't get into keyboards, piano until like I was 13. And I realized the first week at college that, you know, there were kids that started at age three where they were just shredding beyond what I knew I was going to be able to (laughs) achieve. And so I was like, well, not going to be a concert pianist, that's for sure. Um, and, and sort of, uh, still wanted to do music still you know had so much passion about it so i chose a composition degree instead of the piano one but simultaneously at the uc there was a electronic music program and we had sort of some legendary people like you know john cage came through we had um, uh, gordon muma who was a pioneer in electronic music in the 60s uh, was Mm. one of my professors and peter elsie was another one who was like a columnist for Mix Magazine, EQ Magazine, stuff like that. And it was just your general, like, studio wizard in in the old school sense of having, you know, the mm. pocket protector with the pens and was, like, <laughs> soldering soldering all the equipment and stuff like that. Wow. Um, so having, having that sort of uh, little electronic music program, it definitely was under-nurtured and was, like, run out of the, t- the communications building and just, like, a couple extra rooms, basically. But... We had trunk lines, so you could run audio between the different rooms and a bunch of rack gear and tape machines and some old analog synthesizers and um, just had a lot of fun messing around with um, that stuff there a bit. But simultaneously, I've been amassing my own studio gear. So where most of the kids had to do the projects and book the studio time, I would just do the projects at home (laughs) on my MIDI rig with my, uh, you know, four channels of audio I could run on on the computer 
which at the time was really cutting edge. <laughs> that, yeah. The, the computers at that time, which I guess was early nineties, um, you know, processor speeds were in the megahertz, not even gigahertz. Right. So you like a yeah. you know, 33 megahertz computer and it could just squeeze out some MIDI. <laughs> like yeah. it, it really didn't have enough power to do digital audio, but the, the sound parts started coming out. That would allow you to do digital audio kind of at the same time. So your DAW or primitive DAW would just be spitting out a few little numbers and spooling data off disk and getting that data to the sound card, which would handle the actual, like setting the gain of the, of the audio and stuff like that. Um, so Crazy. I had an early, uh, digitizing system called sound tools Two. That was the predecessor to the pro tools, um, yeah. legacy. And so sound tools too. Yeah. I got four tracks of digital audio, but you also <laughs> put up with the bugs back in the time, you know, it was really bleeding edge stuff. I, yeah. I had this bug where I, I could only play the song from bar one. If I tried to play oh. from any other point, it would crash. So okay. I'd make a change to the second verse or the second chorus. And then I'd have to start the song at the start and le- like leave yep. the room and be like, okay, I'm just going to come back and listen to my edit. Uh, so it's amazing minutes. how like, you know, you look at DAWs like Ableton nowadays and you're like, it's a pretty, it like, it's pretty simply laid out and like the graphic into the user interface is pretty good, but like the technology and years that have gone into the simplicity, like behind the fact that you can just consolidate this one audio clip and now move around the whole thing. That's just like, when you look at back at that, it's just insane how far we've come. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the processor speed stuff is just mind blowing the, you know, data capacity stuff. All, all of that stuff is one of the things that really like makes me feel my age and not <laughs> feel like a kid anymore. It's just remembering, you know, I spent $2,400 on a one gigabyte hard disk, which was like the size of a toaster oven. Wow. So I could do an hour and a half of CD quality audio, you know, on this thing. And now <laughs> one gigabyte, like people would laugh at a one gigabyte memory chip. That's like, you know, it's like, it's like, 32 gigs on a little flash disk for five bucks or whatever now. So it's just crazy that the, you know, storage has gone up, um, you know, hundred fold. And then the size has gone down a hundred fold and the price has gone down thousand fold. It's pretty ridiculous. It is. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so once you kind of finished up with, um, college and like the electronic music program there, like what kind of started happening after that for you? Um, after college, I knew I wanted to like make it whatever it was. And, Mm. um, you know, in, in my composition degree, you know, I watched the music major kind of shrink from about 200 people who had started the major down to 12 of us who had finished it. So it was a tough program. Most people kind of quit. And then at the end of it, the professor was like, look around, there's 11 of you left. There used to be hundreds now pat yourself on the back. You did it. Now you can go get your master's degree so you can be a teacher like me. Cause that's the <laughs> only way you're really going to make money in music. Yeah. And I felt like that was such a jaded thing to say in a way. And also I knew it kind of wasn't true. Yeah. Um, you know, I knew there was audio engineers. I knew that there was pop producers. I knew there was people making it in bands. I knew there was some songwriter world out there. Jingles, you know, film composers. I knew that there was a number of places that someone was making a living with music. And, and I felt like, why can't it be me in a sense? If there's, if these other people are able to do it, then 
mm. you know, unless it's just luck and connections. If it's, if it's some sort of talent or gained skills, I should be able to rise to that occasion in the, some point in the future. Now I had no mm. idea how or where I would end up. Um, but I've always just cut sort of a vague target on the horizon of just like this, this thing that I want to head towards. And, um, I think one reason that I've had the success that I've had in various different things is just the fact that I've never had one concrete vision that I'm trying to force Mm -hmm. onto the rest of the world, if you know what I mean, or, or like, you know, change reality for, for everyone. Um, it was much more like see where I can fit in and where I can be useful. And that's going to be, um, you know, and there's something that I can always do. It's, it's not one of those things to just like let go and just let life happen, but more, yeah. there's always stuff that I can learn. There's stuff that I can do to progress, to be ready if an opportunity arises and to further my knowledge and all that. So I always pick every job I took and, and everything based on like, is this aligning me towards a better future? In other words, am I going to be like learning things, making contacts, um, yeah. So sort of moving forward rather than being stuck in some sort of thing where I'm not learning or, or moving forward. So literally every job in high school, I worked at a music instrument store selling synthesizers and digital pianos and tuning guitars and, and something good came from all of it, all of the interactions yeah. with different customers. And, um, and, and so I had the same kind of job in college selling guitars and synthesizers and stuff. And then, uh, right after college, I, I knew I needed to get out of Santa Cruz because it's like a lovely town, but it's sort of a slow surf town, college town. Um, So San Francisco is the nearest big city. So I moved to San Francisco and got a job um, at a pro audio dealership, which was Mm. sort of similar to what I've been doing working at music instrument stores. But now they're dealing with, you know, tube preamps and microphones and pro tool systems. So, um, so then I was doing installation and training of, uh, of people who are buying pro tool systems. Uh, and that really led me, it really made me feel like I was still on this path where I kind of knew I wanted to do music and I knew this day job wasn't quite music, but the people I'm dealing with are musicians. Kirk Hammett from Metallica needs his hard disk rescued or um, <laughs> Les Claypool from Primus and everything, you yeah. know, come in to get a microphone or, Grateful Dead were a big uh, client of ours, so that wow. you know, dealing with their sound reinforcement guys, and um, I ended up working on a my first big album was for Mickey Hart, who was the Grateful Dead drummer. Wow. Um, and so I got to work on a record, uh, his solo record, up in uh, Marin County, um, and that was my first time in you know big pro studio, Skywalker Sound, and uh, watching the whole kind of machine work, you know, team yeah. work coming together to make an album. Um, wow. And that so, really gave me like a bit, you know, I got bit by that bug for sure of like the studio life. People bring you coffee, people bring you food. Yeah. You're like sitting around listening to music and, and um, finding a way to improve it and make it better. And the um, social, the social dynamic of it all was really fascinating to me having you know, an engineer, producer, me being kind of the tape operator, so to speak, editor. Um, and, uh, so I found that really like exciting working on, you know, I felt like being on a sports team in a sense, you're kind of working yeah. in this tight knit little crew working on making something good as a, as a product. And, um, I just wanted to do more of that after I got out of that record. Mm. Yeah. Cause I think 
a lot of producers who are kind of up and coming today or wanting to pursue like a career or even just make music for fun or whatever, it is kind of a very isolated task in the sense that that environment is very much gone from electronic music. Um, and I do think like the approach that you take, you took where, I mean, I think you, you used to have your Twitter bio. I'm not sure if it's the same, but it's like a uh, jack of all trades, master of none. I'm not sure if that was, if that, I think that might've been you. Um, yeah, it sounds familiar. I'm not, sure, yeah. I'm not sure if that's still there or not, but yeah, no, that's definitely true. Is I mean, I think yeah. of myself that way as knowing a, a little about a lot of things mm. and I, there's someone that knows more than me on it basically any facet and I think that's just how life kind of is like there's always going to be some expert out there that knows more than you about something or other but that doesn't mean that you can't you know kind of line up your various interests and talents and do something that that would blow away any one of those specialists because they don't have your point of view you know Mm. and I think you know I can say this for myself as well and I'm sure you'd be the same it's like if we didn't pursue those opportunities that kind of were a bit outside of the I guess you could say traditional scope of a music career. Um, I don't know if we'd be here today. Like, and I think, you know, you, you've kind of gone outside of that with the programming things in the long term as well. Um, yeah. Like it, for me personally, like I wanted to pursue that originally and then, you know, was more interested in the education side of things. And that's how I started working at EDM prod and, and doing this podcast now. So I definitely think it's a valuable valuable thing to just be open to those opportunities around you that might be a little different from what you're expecting yeah i mean following passion is kind of is kind of all i've ever done in a certain Mm. sense like you really can't mastermind a future completely um i don't think i mean some people if they have either enough financial resource or something they can you know you can definitely like become stubborn and fo- and focused on one goal and if mm. you have the resources you can help change the world around you to make your goal happen but you know mm. some some things need uh, you know a lot of help to you know a team in other words i mean there's in edm there's there's rich kids that buy a career more or less in it mm. and, and you can approach things that way um you and it's it's happened even back in the band days before EDM. It was a similar kind of thing where you, you get some investor to bankroll your band to some f- uber rich fan or something like that. You can really make or break yeah. a, a, a whole band's career and trajectory and maybe even make that investor some good money as well. And that's oh, happened yeah. in EDM as well, as well as a lot of private bankrolling where someone comes from a rich family and they decide that they want a career in EDM. Mm. They start taking Ableton lessons. They realize that, they're not going to get good enough fast enough. Then they start just buying songs from ghost producers, yeah, slapping their name on it, buy some promotion for the thing, yeah. um, et cetera, et cetera, and fake it till they make it. And, and that can happen, you know, successfully, you know, to me, that kind of approach, I, I can't hate on anyone for, for finding success, you know, which, whichever way they do it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of always, I don't know. I mean, I don't come from that mindset really of, mm. of throwing money at problems, but I think that um, the easier way is always is always the way with passion, um, just to do things because you're, you're doing you're kind of doing things for a, a, a non selfish reason in a sense, and yeah. um, 
and I see, you know, I see that a lot with, with aspiring people just being in slightly the wrong mentality of, um, really waiting for the rewards of make, of being a musician or something like that. And it's not, and it's sort of the wrong mindset. I think the, you you know, it's, it's almost self-defeating because if you're, you might end up putting in not enough passion or not enough uniqueness or creativity into the product because you're really just expecting Mm. the return and people that have a little bit more of the mindset of wanting to do something for the sake of doing that something itself. Yeah. Um, it seems like the much easier way. Um, I mean, I've seen people who completely don't take music seriously and do it as a creative outlet and then they find success in, in music. Um, just because what they're doing is, is interesting and different. And, um, so it's, it's sort of a catch 22, but, but I often find that if you can get your mind off of the, the results you want and actually just think about the thing that you're making and trying to make that special. It's like, yes. it's to me a much easier route. Yeah. It's the whole like thing of process over the result. Um, like just, you know, what would it look like if you just could enjoy what you were doing? Um, you know, I think a lot of people as well don't necessarily define what they're not willing to do to get a result. Like, you know, for me, it would look like, well, I'm not going to bankroll myself and get ghost producers to become a successful producer because it just doesn't interest me. Like, why would I be doing it then? Like, right. maybe some people don't define that and then they end up in this position where it's like, oh, like, I'm a big DJ now, but I just like paid people to do things for me, which I mean, you know, once again, it's fine if you want that. But I think a lot of people maybe get caught in the trap of assuming the thing they have their eyes on is always the thing that they um, want to achieve. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's different for different people. I mean, there's Mm. some people that would not be able to get up on a stage and play someone else's music, let alone whether or not they slap their name on it. Just, just period. I, you know, I have friends who just were like, or just like, that's just not interesting to me to be a DJ playing other songs. I'll I'll only get up there to play my music because it's mine and that's, and it's, and it's, so it's personal to them and special and that's what they want to play and that's what they want to share. And then there's some people that just want to be the center of attention and they don't even care about money too much. They'll spend a good chunk of their income on just promoting the next thing and doing the next thing. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of famous people that aren't making a lot of money um, for sure, because they're, they're just folding a lot of it back into the, to keeping the hype train moving, you know, kind of the yeah. thing. Um, and yeah, I can't really fault, like the music industry can be so, so tough that I can't really fault anyone for finding a successful formula for them. Yeah. But I definitely have found through watching many people achieve success from the bedroom that it's just, it's really clear to me that the easiest route is to have just passion in the music that you're making. Yeah. And then whatever attitude you have can be completely different. Some people have attitudes like, you know, arrogance almost like I'm, my music's going to be better than everyone else's. You, yeah. you wait and see, I'll, I'll show the world. And then there's people that have the completely opposite attitude of just a, you know, a very loving attitude of, I, I just love music and I love these sounds and these sounds and these sounds. And I don't care if they don't really belong together or if this isn't legit, this genre, I don't care. And then those people can have success too. Um, if they're doing something that's interesting. And so, um, yeah, yeah. It bothers me seeing so much. And this has always sort of been the case. There's always so much sort of 
nearsightedness with with people kind of starting out and it's it's hard i mean it's hard to understand how the world works and what things are but mm-hmm. i see a lot of like oh i can't do that because that's not legit the, the style or something or like so much concern and hesitation to be creative and to take chances and and then you end up you can you know you run the risk of ending up with something that's just utterly generic and no one's going to really notice or care about it mm. um by trying to follow some purist construct that's really only in your head and that doesn't exist out there necessarily for other people. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. It's definitely a big thing in the industry. Um, switching it up a little bit. So obviously fast forward a few years, um, you kind of go more down the programming route. Um, and I mean, I think everyone who's listening probably knows you at this point as the creator of Serum, um, you know, head of Expo Records. And obviously there's a whole host of other tools you've created out there. And one thing that really interested me and I'm sure would interest a lot of people listening is you've mentioned this whole idea of you being involved in meta music and the fact that the products you create have like an influence on the sound of genres, on the sound of artists, of music in general. One thing I was going to ask is how has that happened in ways that you didn't really expect it to? Like you kind of put this thing out into the world and then people start doing all these crazy things with it. Like what surprised you most about that? Yeah. I mean, I feel in a way I'm just getting started still on, on, the, you know, the potential of, of, of the kind of things that I'd like to make. And, um, I'm kind of finally coming of age of getting, getting decent chops down where I can kind of code things up from idea and in a week to a month, I can have something coming out of the speakers that's doing something interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, the, the meta music thing's a little weird that, that was really like something that inspired me to get into making music software was just the idea that you could be influential um, over spanning across genres and, you you know, getting into all these various things. Um, Serum's got popularity in really weird circles that I don't fully understand. Um, K-pop, for instance, it's really huge in in Korea in the the K-pop scene. And I mean, it kind of makes sense. They, they seem to sort of take a bunch from a bunch of genres. So there's, you know, dubstep like sounds and all that kind of stuff that they're throwing in. So yeah, maybe that's how they're using serum uh, or maybe in a more general sense. I don't, I don't really know. Um, so it's surprising to me, certain artist names come up and things like that, where I'm like, Oh, holy cow. I had no idea. I'm not going to name drop, but some of the, some yeah. of the people I respect the most, Oh my God, I had no idea he's using serum. And then a mutual friend was like, oh, you'd never know. He has tons of pseudonyms or whatever. So yeah. You've probably yeah. spoken with him and you don't even know it. Um, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, in terms of like specific stuff, Serum, you know, I, I threw like all of these filter classes that I had laying around and I just sort of threw them all into Serum for the voice filter. Um, yeah. I tried to narrow down a little of the redundancy, but I kind of left in everything. Cause I was sort of like, why not? And mm. one of those was uh, called the reverb filter. And, and it's sort of just like an algorithm based on the free verb, like a, like a very simple reverb algorithm. Yeah. And, um, and so when I was almost done with serum, one of my sound designers was saying, Oh, this is going to be like a huge thing. Just wait and see, like people are going to, 
you know, make whole genre out of this reverb filter or something. (laughs) I was like, I don't know, dude, you're kind of, that's kind of crazy. It's just a wacky, it's interesting, but I I didn't really see it that way, but it kind of happened. I mean, the, the rhythm genre, I I can't take any credit for, obviously I didn't choose for what people to use or do or make, but um, apparently, and it's not just the reverb filter, but apparently serums really was sort of used heavily in the, genesis of rhythm stuff and so so yeah. arguably there's some 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 people have attributed serum to that genre a bit but i don't i feel like an outsider to it all and sure. it definitely wasn't by design like um like i said people you know a sound designer of mine was was kind of right that people did get into using the reverb filter a lot but that um wasn't something that i had a master plan over you know Totally. I, I, I definitely hear it on so much of that, yeah, kind of rhythm-based stuff. Like it definitely um, has characterized a lot of that modern sound of that genre. Um, that I think that and the all-pass and the combs filter, like I, I've played around with those and I feel like people seem to, I don't know if you've, if you've seen this, but people seem to alternate around those ones and get some crazy effects out of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those are the ones that uh, Deadmouse and I were always using back in the day. Like we had just a simple bare bones VSD that was just basically the same thing, the filters, but just with direct sliders and right. no modulations or you couldn't really do much fun with them besides host automate. Mm. Um, but we would use like religiously would use the all passes to sort of get signal separation and, and things and for, uh, yeah. you know, in, in the chain of heavy processing and that kind of a thing, you can definitely do interesting stuff with running it before distortion and the like. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I do notice those, those filters getting a lot of mileage and in a way I'm not surprised because it was the ones that we were, we were also gravitating towards because they're the most unnatural, but at the same time, I don't really take too much credit for that. It was really just me throwing everything in there. And so I don't, I don't really feel like it was anything that happened by design Right. So much. Um, I hope in the future to do things that are a little more steering people towards what I think will be musically expanding mm. choices, essentially. And so, um, so down the road here, I plan to have some pretty big updates with some stuff that I think will um, people will consider innovative, and I think it's stuff that will be audible on records as well and so that's exciting to me i feel like you know my story's not complete yet and i feel like there's a lot more um now that i really have confidence in it uh, you know it's i feel like there's a lot lot more of the story that can be told and um and i can kind of finally get things that i feel proud of i mean i'm very proud of serum's success but but to me serum really represents like the best I could do. And, um, and it's, um, it's strange. It's strange for that to be good enough <laughs> to have it yeah. get to that level because I really didn't expect serum to compete with the big boys yeah. since I thought that it would just be like an, un- like a little secret weapon that some guys would know about under the radar. Um, but it really took off and that's allowed me to, um, you know, invest time into, into doing, you know, big rewrites to mm. to the oh, to the thing in entirety um and so i'm excited 
because I mean, you know, I think I have some nice gifts coming for everyone who's supported me, you know, with with free updates that I've sort of mentally pledged to. I'm gonna, awesome. I think over the over the coming years, there's going to be a, a pretty incredible growth to um, to Serum. Awesome. No, I'm uh, looking forward to those myself as well. Nice. It's, it's very interesting because I remember that when Serum first came out, like what, what year did it come out again? 2014. 2014. And I, I remember it being like, oh, like, because, you know, the obvious kind of wavetable staple at the time was massive. And yeah. when it came out, it kind of was like, oh, there's this new kid on the block, I guess. And, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I guess, like, Unlike other synths that had come out at the time, it kind of, yeah, just got attention really fast. And then within a year or two, it seemed like it was very, had very much overtaken uh, some of the other big players. Um, and I mean, now, like, you know, it's in, in, in the niche of EDM kind of genres, it seems to be probably the go-to. Like, we use it for all of our courses as, like, the staple synth. We recommend it that people, you know, get on Splice or buy it or whatever. Um, Like from an outsider's perspective, it seems like one of the the key things that made it successful, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is the visual feedback. Um, I feel like maybe, I don't know, it wasn't the first synth that did it, but it seemed to be like at the time the best synth around that kind of combined the rich feature set with good visual feedback. Do you think that was key yeah. in it succeeding, like retrospectively? Yeah, I think so. I think it was pretty crucial. Um, you know, there's, it, it's, it's always hard to know, you know, what would have gone different if you had done some different things or whatnot. Um, but the um, visual feedback was something that, that was a big part for me in, in making Serum. You know, I had a, I had an interest to make a synth and at the same time I was working on tracks a lot in the studio still, I was still like a sort of semi in in demand guy in LA. People would come to artists that were on major labels or whatever. They want some beats on their song or, or they want, you know, whatever. So, um, so I was doing a lot of stuff with various artists and when people would come in, um, you know, you're kind of closer to like a songwriting. A lot of it was kind of closer to a songwriting, like, mindset right where you're just trying Mm -hmm. to get stuff down and i never really wanted to use presets um personally just because i've always been such a synth nerd and i've always loved kind of making sense yeah um and i found like using massive in the context of having clients sitting behind you was just very like sort of stressful and not very pleasant of an experience um because yeah, you really couldn't see things. You couldn't see times on the envelope. You couldn't see where your where your LFOs playing back. You, there was so much lack of visual feedback that it made it very um, frustrating. And so that was a big sure. um, thing that I wanted. You know, not thinking that it would make Serum successful, but I was thinking about just really checking off the boxes for me. What What were the things that were making me not feel excited to make uh, sound in massive? Yeah. And visual feedback was one of the biggest factors of it. And so a lot of the visuals of Serum are directly because of that. Like seeing the wavetable is directly because you could not in Massive. And, mm. and having envelopes that you can see the times on and grab the times and everything was, was similarly. Um, mm. So, um, 
yeah, I spent a lot more time on the user interface of Serum than I spent on like the actual DSP side of it. And, um, and that I think was really, um, something that I just knew was important. I think that's like a unique thing about my success on it because, I, you know, I didn't go to school for programming or back to school, didn't yeah. open a book on C++. I didn't do anything. Um, <clears throat> and I'm not saying that I'm particularly clever or, or bright because um, that's honestly kind of not the case. Um, I think it's much more that I really am stubborn. So I, I just kind of stuck with it over 10 years, essentially um, stuck with making little plugins that I wasn't completely satisfied with, but knowing, mm. you know, either the next one will be better or I can come back and make this better in the future or whatever. Um, but I really just stuck with things cause I knew that, um, uh, that there was things that I wanted. Again, it kind of falls back into the passion thing. It was yeah. like, I, I found interest and passion in the making plugins and you know everyone likes to feel special and that was sort of also something that i kind of felt from it it was like in this peer of everyone i knew these djs these music producers these um you know pro guys in la engineers or whatever none of them knew how to make plugins so i yes. felt like even though i wasn't great at making plugins it allowed me to to be viewed amongst this peer group in a slightly different way as, oh, here's a guy that might be able to offer solutions on a more technical level. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I really, I really felt like for me, it worked out really well because <clears throat> I, I went from, you know, as I said in college, clearly not being the best piano player and just not being the best musician to moving into working on records and stuff like that, where you're not the artist, essentially, mm. right? You're sort of a hired gun. Um, and so you're sort of down as tier on the totem pole, so to speak. Yeah. Then I moved into being an artist a bit, but then, you know, I was surrounded by the likes of dead mouse and other people. So again, not, I wasn't the most talented one in the, in the group. Um, and then with the plugins, I really finally found something where I felt like that was, that was something that no one else, at least that I knew mm. I could do with, as I said earlier, there's always someone that knows more than you. And there's definitely people that are more better programmers than me on a variety of facets, but, um, my background definitely made it made it, I think for the case for the unique success of stuff like serum, where it's like, I know what it's like to be a musician sitting there wanting to make a sound. Uh, I know that so well from decades of doing it. Yeah. I know what it's like to be in the creative flow where you don't want to have to think about things too technically. Yeah. And, um, and sort of to the best of my ability, I tried to make, you know, make the thing that I would want to purchase. And yes. that's how I've always like approached the making of the plugins is, is make the thing I would want to buy or make the thing that I would want to use um, yes. because I can't find that somewhere else. Ultimately, like it's not, there's not a better product you could just buy um, mm. or, um, or whatnot. And so that's, that's generally my approach is to think is trying to make the thing that I feel that I'm missing in the arsenal. Totally, um, and then just knowing that other people will recognize that too, um, hopefully. No, I think it's a great approach. Like, once again, to draw the parallel to music, like it's about like you know, if you're if you're a producer, you want to make the music that you would want to listen to. So it's like apply that to. to that's right. Whatever. That's yeah. right. Yeah, you make the. That's what I was would always tell my um, students when I was teaching at Icon Collective. I you know they'd say, Steve, I've you know over my year or two here, I've really honed my chops. I can really like nail all these 
sounds I didn't know how to make before, but I can't find my sound. Like, how do I find my sound? And it's exactly like you say, it's like, make the music that you want to, what you want to hear. Ideally make the music that you want to hear that you can't find anywhere. Yes. Um, because that's the thing that's really going to make you make something that, that sticks out to other people too. They'll be like, Oh my God, mm. I haven't heard something quite like this. Um, but you can also do it on the more immediate level of like, Oh, I got a show coming up next month. I just need to really, really create something with this really drawn out build or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make this, the, the thing with mm, the really drawn it, out build for my show, uh, mm. rather than scouring Beatport anymore or whatever. And so, yeah, it's definitely a, such a great attitude to do. And I think that we're just very lucky to live in a time where like things can get made uh, in a digital sense that you can sit down with tools like Ableton mm. or tools like a C++ IDE or whatever. And then you have the internet where you can share these things instantly. Mm. It's like, again, sounding like the old guy, but you know, as one of the, as one of the, <laughs> the people who grew up without internet, yeah, that's one of the most mind blowing changes um and i feel very lucky to have had a childhood without a cell phone tethered to me <laughs> yeah totally yeah where's steve i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> he could be down the street at the shopping center <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's awesome man and you know one one cool thing i really liked that you did and i guess is kind of maybe i mean you can you can dive into this um it was something that you wanted for serum as well as the whole I think I think you got, you were the first rent to own plugin on Splice, if I'm not mistaken, and that was yeah. kind of another big um, part of Serum and its growth, I guess. Yeah, do you want to share a bit about how that came about? Yeah, I mean it's cool because I think that changed changed things. I mean, maybe on a slightly more boring like financial side of things, but that changed the industry a little bit because I think not only Splice, but I don't think anyone period had ever done rent to own as far as I know on software, but I've got to assume that that's been done in software elsewhere. Uh, but in music software, I'm pretty yeah. sure we were the first to do any kind of rent to own, you know, Adobe had subscriptions and all that, but um, essentially splice had seen splice, you know, their original product was called splice studio or mm. maybe just called splice at the time. Yeah. But um, splice studio was just allow you to back up your session projects and uh, collaborate with other users. And I think that's still a part of their ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and then um, what they were doing with splice studios, they were parsing people's project files so that if you were collaborating with me um, or vice versa, and I uploaded it, say, Oh, Steve changed the bass track or whatever. So, um, long story short, they had seen Serum shooting up the charts and, and they were sort of like, wow, we haven't seen a, any plugin ever like gain this much popularity so fast. And then they started, you know, they started asking me about sales and, and things got into piracy really quick because most of the users are not paying for it. And then I, um, was sort of like, well, that's just how it is. And, you know, I'm not willing to use an iLock or do something that's going to, prevent that yeah. um i'd kind of rather people use it than use something else um so um they said well what do you think you know we think you're missing out on lost revenue from people that maybe just can't afford 189 dollars 
Yeah. And I thought of myself in college where, you know, finding 20 bucks in the couch, like changed your week. Cause you're like, yeah. I can order, a, I can, we're ordering pizza tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, so I was sort of like, man, yeah, I've kind of forgotten about that being in the pro LA scene where $189 is like pretty cheap for most guys. They're like, yes. yeah, I use one sound on one thing. It's paid for itself, you know, kind of thing. And so, yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's right. That is, that is something to consider. So I had a meeting with them. They ran some numbers by me. They did, you know, whatever facts and figures, calculations stuff. And they were sort of like, we think you can make this much money over the next five years from doing a rent to own with us. And I was sort of like, it was a really big number. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, it was, <laughs> you know, the kind of, the kind of money that I never thought that I would, would see in a lifetime. And so yeah. I was like, well, like act cool steve act cool and i was like well i guess we should try it you know and so, um <laughs> so we went ahead and it was a little experimental for all of us but they were actually right their conservative numbers turned out to actually be even conservative and it did even wow. better than they were they were saying so um that was super win-win um it also probably didn't hurt that i don't do any advertising and <laughs> i don't do really any marketing and they put some money behind that yeah um, so that probably helped Serum gain a level of kind of like just attention, um, mm. and so and then it was very win-win. They already had they already had three hundred thousand plus users at the time. So yeah. now those users are getting email blast or banner when they visit Splice or whatever about Serum Rent to Own. So yeah, um, I think there was some like cannibalizing early on of just Splice users getting them onto Serum, uh, but then I think the tides. Over, over time may have even changed the other way that people, I get told a lot that people sign up for Splice just to get the rent to own for Serum. So <laughs> so yeah. it, it works both ways, I guess. Yeah, so um, that, was, that was me back in the day when I first started out. I was like, yep, sprint to own Serum, first thing I got. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah, it's been really good. I've, I've been really pleased by it, how many you know thank you emails I've gotten from people saying I couldn't afford this out of pocket, but now with the rent to own. I just made my last payment. And now I own it, and like I said earlier, I'm really happy to to try to kick back to all those people in the future with you know with new cool stuff that they didn't necessarily expect to be getting um, out of Serum. And so, you know, it's easy to be cynical in this world because everyone kind of tries to milk you for whatever they can, and mm. most people charge for updates. And I saw some ad campaign lately from some unnamed plugin developer that was basically like don't pay for updates Buy our subscription update plan. And I'm like, that's paying for updates too. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, why not just make them free? And so I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's nah. keep it like that. Yeah. yeah but yeah. no, it's just, it's strange to me that like, I don't know, it's full, full on propaganda. In fact, they use propaganda artwork, but, yeah, um, yeah. but, but it's weird to me because it's like, I don't know. I, I, I believe that there's enough people out there that can make something sustainable off. Like if you charge a reasonable amount up front mm. now, granted different people have different business models back to like the DJs. I can't blame anyone for trying whatever business model they want, whether it's freemium, premium subscription, whatever it is. But I just go by my own gut of, like I said, of thinking of me as a customer mm. um, and then thinking about what would I put up with or I mean, I've been a customer of so much software and, and, and I know how it feels 
when they say, okay, upgrade now for $59. And you're like, $59 for what? That one new little thing? And I just want the bug fixed, dude. Your thing crashes on me every other yeah. week or whatever. So like, I felt early on like, no, be cool to the people that support you and like, don't charge them for updates. Maybe you can make another product in the future and maybe they'll have the loyalty to buy that. But mm. even more important in a way is just the word of mouth, right? Because the, yeah. the way the music industry really runs is on word of mouth. So if, if people believe in something or use something, um, th- that tends to trigger some residual sales. Um, and so that's always just been my thought really is just keep people happy and then they'll tell their friends to, to buy it when the friend's asking for their serial number or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no dude, go support that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's worked out. It's worked out great. Like I said, I, I can't, I can't really, have, I never really expected serum to get this popular. So um, at this point now I can feel like as long as it keeps selling a little bit, I can, I can invest money into just um, giving back um, to the, to those who have supported it. Um, and, uh, and innovation is a big part of that to me. Uh, it's not really just about like keep keeping up with the Joneses with whatever other synths might do in their synths. But really to me, it's, it's a little bit more about what don't they do or like, what are the things yeah. that I, again, that I want that I can't, I just can't seem to find anywhere. And, and that's the things that right now I'm working on is stuff that, um, yeah, nothing else is really a, has really tried of course you 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 know kind of risk a little bit of insanity uh, um doing things that are that are not done before yeah and some things are for a good reason maybe they haven't been done before yeah but i i have a lot of ideas that might that might be a little bit of a curveball to some people at first they're going to be like what the heck mm. um but i think i think after some time it has the potential to to really make serum a, a, a one-of-a-kind thing and mm. um and and serum too which is sort of the official thing i'm saving up a lot of this stuff for um it'll have it'll have something for everyone in it for sure too so um, awesome i'm not worried about people being like you ruined it (laughs) (laughs) but maybe maybe someone will say that no i'm sure people will love it man um do you do you think like i guess you know what is it seven seven years on since you first released serum like yeah do you think, obviously, since then there has been competitors, so to speak, rise up, and a lot of them taking a lot of inspiration from Serum? Do you think that's motivated you to kind of, you know, not do the same things? Obviously, you said not the same things they're doing, but different things, or is it just something you were doing anyway? Like, has that affected the way you work at all? No, not really. I mean, the it's kind of funny. It's, I mean, not to get too deep on it, but like I have inferiority complex and like, it's something that a lot of people suffer from. Um, it's like sort of imposter syndrome stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of like really easy for me to get that. Like I got that in DJing and I actually realized later thinking about it that I kind of self self-defeated having any DJ career because I just felt like I didn't come from that world. I wasn't a raver. I wasn't like, I never had this like DJ passion, if you know what I mean. Like I came from the instruments and I came from the bands. 
Um, and so it's actually happened a number of times in my life. I've just, I've just found myself in positions where I feel like a, a total imposter. Like I'm just not supposed to be there, but yet here I am. And then the programming is a similar one, even though I come from Silicon Valley, it's like, if anyone has a birthright to programming, I guess it should be, yeah. but, um, no, but, uh, yeah, programming's for everyone, but it's, um, I just still really felt like I have an older brother who's, a, who's a whiz at programming and, and early on when, as a kid, I got into music in part because I realized I was never going to be as good with computers as him. And it was just one of those things where you're like, well, I'll find something, I'll go shine in my own way and go do my own thing. And so, um, getting, you know, I'm pretty self-conscious, although my confidence has grown on my programming ability. Um, but so there's one side to it, which, ties into my brother a bit and this is definitely like i should lay back in the couch more for this but the um it's like uh the idea of uh, of competition right and yeah. early on as a younger brother with a talented older brother competing meant losing basically to me and competing right. was no fun and so i was never much of a competitive person i mean video games can be fun because it's whatever if you're not taking it seriously but never been much of a competitive person at anything. And I'm not motivated by that Com competition kind of motivates me to quit in a sense. Right. right. So, so because of that, when I see people take things that, uh, that I deem as my creations, yeah. it feels like they're trying to get me to quit. Right. It's really hard to say. I feel like a knife in the heart in a way, like someone's actually trying to inflict pain and disappointment on me and that's their intent why right. they're doing it is to inflict pain on me and that's awful that's like a very like bad mental state right because then you feel pain right you yeah. feel hurt and i'm not um yeah and i'm not a competitive type so it doesn't motivate me to well i'll show them or something like that um but you know, when I stew on it, when I see something that's, and there's been a handful of them now when I, when I'm like, okay, that's just like clearly trying to bite on my thing. Yeah. And I stew on it for a little and go, huh? And then I, and then I'm back to, I'm back to what I always knew in a certain sense, which is that, well, what's the thing that I want to do? I want to do something that nothing else is doing. Yeah. And so it's, it's pretty easy to just ignore the things that are trying to do the things that I'm already doing from a place of no one else had done that before me. And so it's sort of like to me just leaving a trying to blaze a trail of innovation and leave people a bit in the wake is kind of like my my mindset is like um, you know I've got definitely more of that in me in a sense. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's my main thing. But when people send me feature requests and it happens, and it's not even yeah, not even not even stuff to necessarily do with anything similar to Serum or my software, but someone will say, hey, there's this such and such plugin that does this such and such thing, can you put that into Serum? And it's like, to me, that's the least inspiring way to approach something because it's like, well, what fun is that? What fun is that to just like steal their idea and yeah. put it into Serum for you, for this one person? And yeah. it's like, and and selling more copies is not a motivation. Sometimes people go, oh, it'd be so much whatever. or like the only motivation to me is the motivation to do something new. So like the best way to, if you're trying to get into my head, the best way to do that is to not mention the other product yep. or maybe casually say, well, there's this thing that kind of does it like this, but they didn't do what would really make it cool, which would be this yeah. other thing. 
and oh, then yeah. and then that's when I get excited. I'm like, oh my god, yeah, there's so much like unexplored territory within that little thing that could totally come up with creative new things. And so um, that's what really still motivates me is like uh, like the stuff I'm working on right now, which I won't get into specifics on, but it's like um, it's it's sort of like the, there was like all these abilities in plain sight that that people have kind of overlooked in terms of just like. Um, yeah, signal and music creation stuff is just like it's really interesting yeah. when you kind of find like oh my god people have skipped over this little like pocket of where you could do really creative things or create tools that allow people to do creative things so mm. um so I'm, I'm having fun right now and i mean there's nothing more exciting than like calling up your half finished thing and having stuff that actually sounds good come out you know and you're like oh my god this is that's people, sick people are going to get so excited by this kind of a thing and um yeah yeah, that's what it's all. That's what that's what keeps you going is that little bit of like, oh, this is actually good. Like, yeah, this is this is gonna, yeah, this pays it's off. The same as music, you know. Yeah. You you're working on a track and you're like, oh my god, people are gonna people are gonna lose their shit when they hear this build up to this drop or whatever. Yeah. And and you can just and you like you can almost like imagine being one of them. And that's like really the best mindset I think to be in as a musician. Uh, either just like partying and having fun in the studio is a great one, or else thinking about yourself at a younger age as you're like, don't try to just imagine some generic um, fan or, of your music. Think of yourself, but younger, mm. because that's someone that you really know. That's someone that you remember and you know. And it's mm. weird as we change in age, because now you might know too much about the production and it might be very different than yeah. that experience you had at 15 or 17 or whenever it was when you experienced this first epic sound system. But that mm. person's still inside you and you still remember being that person. So to me, that's like my advice I like to give people when you're trying to like just make judgment calls on something, whether it's artwork or anything, just be yeah. like, think about your younger self as the fan and do it for that person. Do it for your younger self. What would they get excited by? Um, and so, yeah, um, tangential, but no, it's good, man. I was actually going to ask you, um, how, how is like your, are you working on any of your own music much at the moment and how's that all going for you? Not much at the moment. No. Um, I'm so much more interested in working on the tools. It's kind of become mm. a, you know, it's a weird thing. I guess it's the meta music thing in a sense, but it's, yeah. it's a weird thing when you just know that your time is just much better spent working on a feature or a bug fix or whatever it is. Cause you know, if, if there's one bug fix, say it's causing, I don't know, a, a crash or something. And then it's like, okay, there's going to be a thousand people hitting this crash. Maybe a hundred of them are going to write to me or, yeah. or whatnot. But like how frustrating, how much music's going to get lost in a thousand crashes and how much frustration and, and then how long will it take me to fix that? And like, if that's my time best spent for a day or two is, is finding addressing and fixing that crash rather than um, because I'm the only one that can do that. And then when it comes to making music, yeah, arguably I'm the only one that could make that piece of music. But yeah, yeah, totally. I, I just feel like my time is best spent. It feels like selfish too much for me to work on music. It feels like I'm, huh. I might as well be like rotting away watching TV or something would be kind of the same. Unfortunately, huh, interesting. Um, yeah. where it does, where it does feel valuable is when I can get feedback back into the software. So like I do yeah. obviously like to use my own stuff and then, um, and just tinkering around is as far as I get. I, I just, 
generally don't try to actually finish things, but yeah. Um, but you know, for me, the software development is very iterative. So I'm, I'm like bringing it into the DAW, messing with it, kind of mock making music. And then I'm like, right. Okay. I need to fix that right now. And unfortunately sure. there's always just a hundred things that you know you need to do. So it's, so it's pretty hard to get anywhere on the music without going like, right, that, that, and that I'll go take care of those things. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's like you're giving feedback on yourself sort of thing by, by like making a little idea or mini track per se. Yeah. Sometimes things happen where like, you know, people will send in a feature request and they'll say like, Oh, I can't believe you don't have this and it's really annoying or something. And, and then until you hit it yourself, you just don't know how annoying it is. And for instance, like uh, last time I was making music was like, or released music was uh, last year with with Dead Mouse, and, and so yep. we did a BSOD EP mm. up in uh, Toronto right before COVID, um, and we were going to tour it and all, which is kind of a bummer, but got the music out at least, and then yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, used Serum completely for all of it and Serum and some drum samples. And that was nice. basically the EP. And um, what happened, I think, four times watching Joel using Serum was he would want to switch wavetables and then he'd click to load the next preset instead um, oh, accidentally. Yeah. And then he would lose the whole preset and he'd go, fuck. And then an <laughs> hour later same fucking thing he's like just just wiped another preset out and so like literally right there in the studio i'm like i'll add a ask before saving on the on the preset loading because that's like after watching him lose three presets that way i was like man like i've never personally mistaken the preset advance for a wavetable advance but yeah yeah, i should probably ask you if you want to save changes if you've like turned a knob or something so I've added that into Serum now. Unfortunately, yeah. now it just brings in support people going, how do I turn off this annoying are you sure message? Uh, you can turn yeah. it off in preferences. Like, can't win yeah. them all. Yeah. Maybe I should up the threshold on how much you have to turn something or or have the preset, how many notes it has to play or something before it asks you. But Yeah, um, it's never over. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely true. Can't please everyone either. Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, as we bring this to a close, actually, on on the topic of, I guess, you know, you being the sole support person for for all of all of your products, is that still the case? No, I, I got a support person that's helping me part time. Okay, uh, who's really great, Shredwardy is one of the sound designers on the factory content, and he's a friend Sweet. from Austin. And Shred's like also a pro, like tour manager, and so he's going out on a big US tour with a big artist for few months so i'm going to be sure back in the support role full-time i think oh yeah um if he's if he's as busy as it looks like he's going to be uh but no shred's been really great and he kind of knocks out all of the stuff that's like i forgot my email i used to purchase and stuff like sure because really at this point the software has gotten pretty stable and i have very few like technical problems coming up if people are up to date um, sure. about half the technical emails are just people that haven't updated yet and like oh that's fixed that's fixed yeah um so um yeah fortunately supports in general gone really down and, and now more and more the percentage of it is just customer service people trying to locate old purchases is, is sure. like pretty much a daily one still a little bit of user education stuff like the new users i've never installed a plugin in fruity loops before how do i how do i do that and that's that's still pretty regular um 
Do you just like and link to a video at this point? Like here's an installation video. Or... Yeah, um, I should. No, I mean, I, I was talking about making, ha- having one like made. I was kind of joking on Twitter or something about doing one in like the style of the Schoolhouse Rock videos or something like this cartoon, <laughs> cartoon VST going into a VST folder. Yeah. I, I think that would be like a great, I mean, a little patronizing, but it would be pretty good. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I generally just give them the explicit directions of how to do Fair. it because to me that's like, I just have that in text and copy and paste. And, yeah. Um, it's unfortunate, but it is a convoluted process, especially in FL Studio. But, you know, any DAW, yeah. this stuff is not really a musician level stuff. It's sort of computer nerdy stuff to have these DLL files and pointing them to a folder and nothing really explains well how it is. It's a little easier on Mac. It's a little more just, just works kind of a thing, but Mm. um, yeah, it's, I don't really blame the users. It's really confusing thing to do if you've never done it before. What's really changed is that serum is so popular that it's become people's first VST purchase. Whereas yeah. with my other plugins, it was never someone's first VST. So, um, yeah. so I definitely hit more user education than I did in the past. But, um, but yeah, no, it's it's reasonable. I I don't expect you know some people are like, how come it's not in the manual? And it's like, well, I'd have to list like every program. But I sh- I probably should do that. I should probably get you know FL Studio and Ableton. Like, in fact, I think we have that in the upcoming manual revision. I've been working on a major serum retooling of the manual. Cool. Nice. Although they're trying to take all my stupid jokes out, I'm gonna have to fight to get. <laughs> oh, that makes it the most fun. That's that's, that's like right. the things that make someone's day. That's uh, right. That's that's what I think too. I, yeah. yeah, it's it's music industry. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> nah, awesome, man. Um, well, sweet. As we bring things to a close, like one thing I guess I wanted to ask is you see a lot of producers, I guess, face to face. Um when you are doing these support tasks and stuff like that. Um, based on your experience, both as a producer, seeing what these people are doing as a software developer, making, you know, products for music. And is there something you see people make, like a mistake people are making just in general with their music or whether it's like just for fun or their career or whatever? Is there like a thing that you see happening a lot that you're like, that shouldn't happen? Um... Yeah, that's a challenge. I mean, there's there's different levels of musicians that I come across mm. for sure. There's, I mean, from the from the biggest pros to the the people starting out that don't know anything. You know, I really see the full spectrum of it. Um, I think that there's a large number of people in electronic music that are lacking education in music. Sure, and it's something that I kind of understand is the, is the like desire to kind of not need to know everything. And I think that that's great. So first of all, like not to contradict what I'm about to say, but like you don't, there's no, there's no any one thing you need to know. Right. So it's like having, just having your own approach or having your own direction could be enough. And and you could do music with this, with a xylophone and two flutes or something like you could do something totally weird and maybe make it work. So there's like totally not rules but at the same time, what I do see a lot of is that people can't really fit a melody and chords together. And yeah. that kind of like concerns or bothers me for someone to have a career longevity. Yeah. 
if you really can't understand kind of chords and melody. And I don't think that you need to know like jazz harmonies and I don't think you need to know oh, no. like, music theory even really. Right. You just sort of need a, a musical ear for lack of a better word to like know when notes are right or wrong or to like fi- be able to figure out hopefully, you know, I, I don't really know if, like, I guess there is a such thing as talent, but I, I tend to not think about things in terms of talent. I think it a little bit just more in brain development. And it's mm. like people should get to the point where they can hear uh, chords or melody and know if a note's right or wrong in, in the key or not in the key kind of a thing. Um, like I said, I don't think you need to become a master in music theory. And there's something to be said for a little blissful ignorance. Sometimes it's it's nice to not know too much about everything because then your brain starts doing reductionism instead of how does this make you feel it's like oh well that's just a c major seven chord and blah blah, blah. yeah and it's like no that's not just a c major seven chord that's a mood that's giving me that's giving me a vibe right now it's in the context of where it's going yeah so the so it's really a dangerous game to like to to learn stuff and start thinking in a reductionist way um and so it's, yeah it's, it's so ignorance is bliss sometimes when it comes to just how does something make you feel and and sometimes even having things in slightly relative keys, like there's a classic house thing you hear in a lot of old school house music mm. where they just have a sample and the sample would have a chord that's slightly in a different key or they're transposing it. So it's kind of making things mismatch keys, but, but that there's something that can still be very cool within that. Right. So I'm, I'm definitely not a stickler for rules at yeah. the same time. I do hear a lot of like amateur music that like shocks me sometimes like someone will, you know, saying, say something really nice about serum and say, Hey, check out my music if you get a chance. And I li- listen to the music. And, and so very commonly I'm just hearing this sort of trend where it's like, wow, there's a lot of people making music that really don't know chords and melody together, like to get, to get something that's musically interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's again, like you, there is no such thing as like these talking about music in blanket terms. So I hate to say that it's necessary because you could make, you know, techno or dub techno or a whole bunch of deep house there's a whole bunch of genres where you can get away with knowing no music theory for sure because there's just not a lot musically going on sure but if you really want to make music that's going to reach masses that's are above the underground yeah you especially if you really want to make music that's going to be on the radio or like kind of pop format yeah this the, the most memorable songs are the songs that you could reduce to a piano and vocal or just left hand and right hand on a piano and someone could go oh i know what song you're playing that's levels by avici i can mm. i can tell by just what you're doing on the piano totally. and so it's always going to be that way and that i th- i think personally that like um that that practicing piano studying piano you know taking lessons is belittling as it might be because piano is not easy and and your piano teacher is going to be a lot better than you and you're going to be probably doing things you don't want to do, maybe like reading sheet music or playing Mozart or whatever. But to me, I would recommend to absolutely every single producer to take piano lessons, no matter what level of piano ability you're at, Mm. take the lessons because you're going to learn something and you're going to get better and better at this keyboard, which we all have one on our desks more or less. Right. And it's just the more that you can just hear something in your head and then play it out of that, it just makes the, the studio experience so much better. And and then more and more, you're going to start developing that part of your brain around mm. melody and harmony. And, and again, that's after it's all produced and mixed and mastered, 
that's what in people's brains, it kind of can get reduced back down to just those, that melody and harmony and that memorable yeah. stuff. So I think it's important to have the ability going in uh, on that if possible. That's why I, I, I say piano lessons for all. Um, mm. would, There's would so many resources out there as well. Like even if you, for whatever reason, can't get a piano tutor or like online there's a heaps of stuff to learn at least the basics of this like i mean shameless plug we do have a course songwriting for producers but there's heaps of stuff out there like it's worth investing a bit of time into especially in the early days i'd, I'd highly agree with you there on that one yeah, definitely. um one last question um sure. this is a question i'm kind of asking everyone um, if you had a time machine and, uh, and like, I, I believe kind of like, you know, live with no regrets. Yeah. Like, like learn from your mistakes. I'm, I'm all about that. But just for sure. the, the sake of analogy, if you did have a time machine, what's one thing you'd go back and change that you have done in the past? Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's really hard because of the hypothetical nature of things, right? If I change that one thing, then... Mm. And then maybe other things wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, um, you know, I strangely live between a constant fear of regret and then also having no regrets about the past. So, yeah. So I'm like very fearful of doing something stupid right now or in the future that that in the future I would regret. But then when it comes to any present moment, I don't really look back and say, I wish I did things differently. Um, You know, if I if I look back and say, how could I have been in even a better place maybe or something like that yeah um which is hard for me to do because it takes me very little to be satisfied i mean ultimately food and shelter and the internet i'm pretty happy (laughs) um so i think looking back i do realize that if i had believed in myself more i could have achieved a lot more and not saying that i regret that so to speak but i'm positive like I kind of touched on earlier, if I really believed in myself as a DJ and said, no, I studied in music, I know what I like, I blah, 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 blah. I could have really honed being a DJ, done DJ mixes, which my booking agent and manager wanted me to always do. And I, But I basically self-destructed any kind of DJ career um, just because I felt like that wasn't something that I was legit on, but I, I do sure. think that that was worked out for the best for me, obviously, because then yeah. serum when that happened and all that. Right. So, but I do see even with serum, if I had believed in myself or believed in serum more, I could have taken a bigger risk. I could have invested some savings into it and tried to try to um, license or hire more code and more people to help build it to be even more than it is. Mm. Um, but Again, kind of no regrets on it. It's it's definitely people are happy with what it is. And I think it's really powerful and flexible as is. And now I have the future that I can do those things that I'm that I'm mm-hmm. talking about, which is what I'm doing right now, which is like investing uh, both time and, and money into taking it to sort of a level that's beyond um, what I'm capable of by myself. Um, but so that's kind I, of what's on the horizon for you over the next 12 months is just focusing on on improving serum per se yeah no next 10 years 10 years (laughs) yeah no i have i have some sort of lofty goals for serum too and it's not and i have no 
timetable for it. So it yeah. might be next year, might not sure. be next year. I'm, I'm not really sure. I was initially trying to get it out this year, but then I decided that I, you know, some things came up within it that I think are really exciting. And I've decided that, no, this stuff needs to be like, there's no reason to, to rush something out. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like, not like being an artist where unfortunately artists kind of need to keep their name out there a bit. Oh, yeah. So you either have to run to social media or you have this or that. I kind of feel like, well, no one's going to forget serum, even if something amazing comes out in, in mid 2022 or whatever, I think with what serum two will be, it's going to nothing. It would be like lightning striking twice. If something comes close to the, the yeah. once again, wacky things that I'm throwing together uh, in there. Um, no, that's so, awesome, man. So I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited by it. And it's really, to me, that's like, yeah, getting off of your initial question, but, but, but like seeing myself and the other people involved excited and us not worrying too much about, you know, there's no, there's no company above me or anything. There's no sales pressure. Oh, this has got to, yeah. this has got to be big or anything like that. Um, is one of the greatest joys of being able to do the thing that's like, no, this has just got to make us excited and be the thing that we want. And then, yeah. and then if we are truly satisfied and proud of it, then we don't even have to wonder if other people are going to like it. Of, of course they will. So, awesome, um, man. so yeah, it's good having that confidence. I wish I had it younger to anyone out there listening. Just re- you're a hundred percent legit. No one, no one can take you from you. Um, and just keep that in mind. It's just like, for me, our, you know, me and Joel, our music took off the minute I realized that we were a hundred percent legit and underground and then I almost started getting bummed because I was like, man, this is going to get bigger than the underground really quick. Mm. And then, and then, and then that, my, that feeling was completely true. It, it happened just like that. So um, yeah. there's something, there's something about you can, you can realize you have the goods and that your goods are unique, even yeah. if, and you're obviously always going to doubt yourself and all that at the same time. So don't be surprised by that aspect, but, um, but yeah, you're legit. Don't quit. Hundred percent, man. I love that. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for jumping on, man. This has been super fun. Um, Great. Thank you, yeah. Aiden. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um. Until until uh people start hearing about uh what you're doing, where can people find you online and that sort of thing? Um. Yeah. Xforrecords.com is my website. There's a contact page that goes to me. Um, and then on Twitter, I goof off once in a while, which is Steve underscore Duda, D-U-D-A. And that's basically the extent of my online debauchery. I mean, there's a, there's a discord, uh, for the extra users. That's kind of fun as well. If you're, if you're a serum customer, you can go to the serum forum on extrarecords.com. You'll see a link to the discord and, um, I kind of keep it private for serum customers, but there's some, there's some silly hijinks going in going on there from time to time awesome man thank you so much thank you again Amy.